and opened, he had me open up an account and he gave me a hundred dollars to put in and uh, told me to put all my money into the bank account and it will be safe. But that was, I remember that like it was yesterday because, you know, that was the start of, you know, me starting to take my finances serious and really starting to learn and understand, um, you know, more about finances and money's not scarce. You don't have to, you know, money should be used as a tool. It doesn't have to be something that you treat as if, you know, if it's gone, you're never going to be able to get it back. Welcome to the Millennials and Money Podcast, the podcast dedicated to encourage millennials to continue to make wise decisions with their money. We find some of the best ways to learn is through stories. So each week, your host and wealth advisor, Payne Boyer, invites a millennial guest on the show to share their money story. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. And today I have a very special guest. I have my personal friend and cousin, Daryl Robinson. Now, me and Daryl, we met in first grade, uh, Miss Knowlton's class back in back in the Bay Area. That had to be like 25, 26, 27 years ago. It's insane. It had to be about 27 years ago. And we've just been staying close ever since, man. I'm, I'm really impressed with all you've done, Daryl. You, you've achieved a lot um, throughout our friendship together. And I, and I guess got to say, I'm very impressed with you. And uh, for the audience, I'm going to call him Cuz at times, and that's because he is my cousin. But uh, like I said, go ahead, Cousin. Introduce him to yourself. Tell them what you do for a living. Tell them about some of your experiences and take it away. Right on. Thank you for the introduction, and thank you for having me on, Peyton. Uh, you know, I truly believe this is an honor to be on the show. I listened to the last episode, and as you mentioned, it was really inspiring just hearing the other stories of the other uh, guests that you had. So thank you for having me on. But as my cousin mentioned, um, my name is Daryl Robinson. I'm out here in the Bay Area. I'm currently the manager of operations for a startup company called NPM. We were just purchased uh, by Microsoft back in April. Whoop, whoop. Shout out Microsoft. And um, yeah, so honestly, just uh, like I said, I mentioned, it's an honor to be on here and share my story because, you know, I really did not understand a lot about finances and uh, how wrong my thinking was uh, in regards to finances until, you know, the conversations that we had and just later on in my life, once I really started um, getting momentum in my career. Yeah, no, I'm excited to have you on because, um, so I know what you're doing now with Microsoft, that's awesome because you got to talk a little bit about the modeling things you did and uh, that D1 basketball, you D2 basketball. <laughs> You too. Good, yeah. Good so, so yeah, so I have a modeling contract. Um, I've been modeling now for about four years. And um, yeah, so I was literally working. I was in sales at that time. I, I like to call it the after school abyss. So I played basketball in college. I was blessed enough to play at San Francisco State for two years after transferring from a junior college out here in the Bay Area. And after college, I was really focusing on trying to play overseas, got a personal trainer, added some weight to my frame, uh, had a couple of workouts, but, you know, I, I realized that I've been, you know, my basketball career took taking me for far enough. So I just wanted to get back into the real world and start making some money, use that degree that I was so fortunate to, uh, to get. I got my degree in psychology and um, business. So I was like, I better put it to use. So of course, when you get out of college, it's like, 
you know, what the heck do I do now that, you know, you go out and you're ready for a job, you got the degree, you followed all the steps, but um, I found myself in a sales role for Procter and Gamble. And um, it was for their cosmetic line. And a customer came in one day and just assumed that I modeled and told me that she'd be back in a week and I better contacted at least five agencies that she'd written down on a piece of uh, on the back of a receipt. So um, I actually went out and spoke to those agencies and um, was fortunate enough to come away with a modeling contract. And it's a really good supplemental income and just another vessel for networking in my eyes. You know, I've been exposed to a lot of different situations and uh, got to meet a couple of cool celebrities and just a lot of cool people along the way. That's not present. That's something we'll touch more on at some point in this conversation. I'm really big on supplemental income. Uh, you know, I'm big on revenue streams. You get, like to me, it makes more sense to have more than one revenue stream. That way, one thing goes south and falls through. No one knows because it's still got income coming in, keeping things keeping things steady. So that's really good because you got a nice little side hustle. You know, we mentioned um, some of the things you've done with Microsoft, modeling, playing ball. But one thing you didn't mention was this. I keep part of a chain that changed like how long outlive us. And let's stop with these band-aid solutions. I'm not, I don't... We need to build these communities, pour back in these communities. Hold these tech companies accountable. The Salesforce, the Twitter, the Uber, Microsoft, the GitHub, Facebook, just a matter of you. Pour back in these communities so the brown and black little boys and girls in the mission, Hunter's Point, everywhere can look at that Salesforce power as a beacon of hope. You know, we got to hold our leaders accountable. And most importantly, we got to vote. Vote at every level, local, state, presidential. Stop compromising your right to vote. We're no longer three-fifths of a person. Go out and vote. Because, so that's one thing you didn't mention right there was uh, activists and motivational speakers. So talk to me about that, because what was that? Yeah, so... You know, in light of all that's going on in the world right now, um, you know, I don't like to say in the right now because I believe racial injustice has been going on since the beginning of this country. However, uh, you know, I just was riding home one day, driving home and speaking to my mom, just this is right after George Floyd was actually killed. And I was just processing just everything going on in my life, um, just the pandemic, Ahmaud Arbery being killed, Breonna Taylor, and then, you know, Mr. Floyd being executed. And I literally just wrote, pulled off to the side of the road and wrote in my notes app, just what I was feeling. And I posted it on my Instagram. And I, about an hour later, I checked my messages and this, uh, this activist from this organization in San Francisco asked if I wanted to come speak at a, a kneeling for justice rally in San Francisco at City Hall, uh, just about my experience and just, you know, the injustice and whatnot, just because, you know, as I'll touch on later, kind of my interesting upbringing, I would say. So yeah, I had a chance, I was honored. Uh, it was truly a, a great situation. A lot of people came to really support 
um, you know, getting justice for Mr. Floyd and just, you know, all those that have been oppressed during, you know, like I said, the beginning of this country. So it's, it was really an honor to get up there and speak to the crowd and just have that much support. It was definitely a surreal situation, but uh, you know, the work's still not done. I'm actually, um, as I mentioned in Microsoft, but uh, interviewing for a diversity and inclusion uh, manager role. So uh, hopefully I get that so I can continue to you know, hold the company that I'm working for currently accountable for. Amen, because um, they support. Amen. You know, like the stuff you're doing now, like you said, the inclusion role, like that's where the battles are fought. You know what I mean? There's there's the main stuff you see on TV, like the speaking rallies, but the stuff that's going to have the lasting result is going to be in roles like the one you're interviewing for. So I'm excited to hear what you're going to do with Microsoft and hold, like you said, holding them accountable. So talk to me about the speaking. How was that? Was that your first public speaking event? That was my first public speaking event um, in regards to size That's for a crowd that big. There was a, apparently they said close to almost 2000 people there uh, looking out on City Hall just to see if people, like I said, it was a beautiful thing to see people from all different backgrounds, you know, ethnicity, genders. So it was really just an honor and just a blessing to be up there and just speaking and just feeling that that just that unity it was definitely tangible and it just made me think like i want to recreate this it shouldn't have to take a death you know an execution by the hands of a police officer to bring people from all different walks of life together but yeah, that was my first big i guess big speaking role i would say that's cool because you see it in your future do you see something like something you're going to pursue in the future you know i am um, i wouldn't i'm not opposed to it but I'm not actively seeking, you know, I just, I'm more so worried, like you mentioned, just making sure I'm doing the fight from the ground up, you know, a grassroots type of fight, because that's where the change, you know, begins. And, uh, you know, you, you plant the seeds there so you can see the fruits of your labor grow later. So, you know, I'm not opposed to it, but I'm not actively see, uh, seeking opportunities to speak like that again. I was invited to speak again at a, you know, same, um, same organizational group, but uh, it was about a different different topic. It was for justice for Breonna Taylor, but uh, I was in LA the weekend that they were holding their rally. So, you know, I I honestly just got up there and just spoke from the heart. I didn't really focus too much on the impact and if anybody heard it. But you know, afterwards, it, you know, people were just saying just how impressed they were. And I I really just shot from the hip, not to you know humbly brag, but. Yeah, I just got up there. I'm just it just shows just how passionate I am about just you know injustice, you know. Yeah. So I find many times, cause from the from my conversations with clients and just colleagues in general, that many times many times people's overall outlook on money is molded in childhood and things they see in the household coming up. Of course, it doesn't always stay that way, but that's why I feel that it begins to mold the mindset of money. So talk to me about your childhood growing up and talk to the audience about what it was like in your household growing up. What was money like and what was the overall vibe of the household? Absolutely. So just for the audience, I grew up in a far from normal uh, situation at home. I grew up in a single parent household for majority of my childhood. My mother and my soon-to-be three sisters, but I was just my two older sisters growing up until about the age of eight. And uh, yeah, my father was in prison. He was in jail for selling drugs and also spousal abuse. 
but I definitely think that I learned just the incorrect. My father would carry around just wads of money, wads of hundred dollar bills. And I remember just seeing just, he would always, he, he bought things. So cars, nice cars, jewelry, he bought us everything we wanted. So money to me, you know, was something that came and went. So I still remember the last time, you know, cops came and picked him up from the house um, and just seeing all the money since he was, I guess, the breadwinner from just, you know, selling drugs and whatnot, all the money from the household just leave, the wealth and everything just left. It was just my mom and, you know, her view on money, just being a single mother, you know, we were on section eight government housing. Uh, it just totally was money is scarce. Any money I have, let me hold on tight. So it's just seeing a single mom, single black woman work so hard just to raise her kid, go home, make sure your kids are going to school, make sure they're doing their homework, make sure they're eating when you come back. Um, I just think that, you know, and seeing my mom, I always remember her going into the stores and just kind of talking to herself that out loud. I, I wasn't sure if she was ever conscious about it, but just kind of taking a deep breath and realizing like, like, I wish I could get this, you know, but knowing that you don't have the funds to get it or knowing that was outside of your means. And it was just something, you know, as simple as maybe just name brand cereal or just, you know, name brand, you know, juice or something like that. So uh, I definitely think I carried that mindset until I was 20. I used to store my money in a glass jar <laughs> in a, a, a toy box that I had underneath my bed. And I remember I was speaking to one of my friend's fathers and he asked me, you know, like I said, I was about 20. Um, I think it was just in a, in a glass jar at that point. I didn't have a toy box when I was 20, but, um, but you know, I, all the money that I had saved, I think it was literally only like $600. He had balled up and like hidden underneath sheets around that time. Yeah, sheets and blankets around that time. My friend's dad was like so confused on why I didn't have a bank account. And I was like, uh, I didn't even have an answer. He's like, you don't have a checking account? He's like, where do you keep your money? <laughs> and I told him <laughs> underneath my bed. And he, he took me instantly down to uh, Bank of America and opened, he had me open up an account and he gave me $100 to put in and uh, told me to put all my money into the bank account and it will be safe. But that was, I remember that like it was yesterday because, you know, that was the start of, you know, me starting to take my finances serious and really starting to learn and understand, um, you know, more about finances and money's not scarce. You don't have to, you know, money should be used as a tool. It doesn't have to be something that you treat as if, you know, if it's gone, you're never going to be able to get it back. So um, that, yeah. that was my earlier experience with money, I would say. No, I think you're hitting it on the head and the fact that it money's a tool and it's not scarce. And the thing is people are going to make mistakes. You can't sit there and beat yourself up over every mistake you make financially. I always tell my clients, like it takes courage to sit there and look at, have a conversation with me and just call me to have a meeting and say, you know, I'm going to put it all on the table. And I'm going to tell you where I am. Cause that takes, it takes courage to say, Hey, I'm here. I should be here, but at some point along this way, I messed up and I'm here right now. But I, I love the peace it gives my clients when I tell them, like, we can still move. We can still move from here. We can, we, I'm so glad you came now rather than 
a year from now or 10 years from now, because when you sit there and you look at things, the reality of the situation, you can always make it out of it financially for the most part. But yeah, um, that's, that's awesome that your friend's dad would come there and just, you'd have that mentor. Here's a question I want to ask you. It's not so much on topic, but you know, I thought about this question. It's something that the whole, all the years we've known each other, I've never asked you. And it was just on my heart recently, heart recently. So you grew up with three sisters and your mom. And as long as I know, known you up until recently, your dad had not been the picture. At what age did you become the man of the house? Because I know, see, I know that you're the, even though your mom's since graduated college, she's been excellent for herself. I still know that your sisters who are older than you, except for Mary, they still turn to you as that male figure. When did that happen? When did that begin to happen? What was that like? I think I, I would say once my, at eight, eight years old, because my dad got out of prison for after his second strike when I was seven. So he was home for like a solid year. Um, then that's when Mary was created, I guess I'll say. Uh, when I turned eight, you know, Mary was born. And then my dad went to prison six months after she was born. So I would say once Mary was born, uh, I really became the man of the house just because you know, the way that I carried myself, I was the only boy. My mom was never shy about, you know, making sure I knew, you know, right from wrong and just loading me up with responsibilities and letting me know she, she, although her financial situation, uh, you know, regardless of her financial situation, she always told me, you know, money's out there. You just got to know how to get it, you know, and not the right way. <laughs> Don't do like your father, like you can make money the right way. So even from a young age, I was always trying to, you know, put together some type of business, whether that be a lemonade stand or something I can sell. I remember going down to the golf course, uh, me and one of my old friends, and we would go into the little water areas and scoot the balls out, clean them out, and then sit outside of the golf course and sell them to the golfers because they're, they're pretty much brand new balls that, you know, that we retrieve because, you know, this lake was off of like the second hole. So, if your ball is landing in there, it hadn't been hit a lot, I'm assuming. So we were doing that until we got kicked off the premises just for, <laughs> I guess, uh, <laughs> soliciting things without consent. So, um, yeah. So you I mean, and I oh. had, you and I had a lemonade stand on Coral Lane back in the day. <laughs> yes, I remember that. Yeah, yeah we so did. At a young age, I always had an semi-entrepreneurial spirit. So, um Yes, I, I think that, you know, not to digress too much, but I think I really became the man of the house, you know, kind of at that point, because we knew our dad was going to be down. My dad did 20 years after that. Uh, you know, that stint lasted 20 years, and which was thankfully his last stint. But uh, yeah, I guess I had no choice but to be thrusted into that role as being the man of the house. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, before we carry on, I want to make sure that we take time to talk about your mom. Because your mom's accomplished a lot of great things. And from the, what we've talked about so far, we haven't heard any of that. So let's talk about some of your mom's achievement achievements since you've been around. Oh, man. Well, <laughs> I think any, any person, but, you know, more specifically, any woman that can raise three children by herself, literally by herself. I didn't have a stepfather until 
you know, maybe I was 16, I believe, 16 or 17. So for any, my mom just, uh, any any person, any woman that can raise three children by themselves, you know, work and make sure these, you know, your children grow to be, you know, good citizens and, you know, have good morals, you know, morals that you instill into them. Um, and most importantly, just be humble. I think that's what I took from my mom, you know, regardless of our situation, she never raised us to be, uh, you know, angry at the world. She never raised us to think we were victims. She always raised us to think that we had an equal opportunity if we put the energy and effort behind it. She always used to say the two things you can control in this life are your attitude and your effort. And that's Amen. one two things you can't say anybody else, um, you know, manipulated you over because those are what two things you are solely in control of is your attitude and effort. And I've taken that with me just throughout my life. And um, I think that's, why I think I positioned myself financially, um, you know, in the way that I did. Yeah. And your mom, she ended up going back to school, didn't she? And getting her degree as well. Yeah, so she, she ended up going to the university of San Francisco and, uh, getting her degree in business administration. Um, I believe when Mary was in high school, so my youngest sister was in high school, my mom started going back to night school and taking classes to get her degree because she put, a lot of that on hold when my dad went to prison the last time. So she resumed, uh, actually got her associate's degree and during that time then went on to USF to get her uh, bachelor's in business administration. So, and, um, yeah. <laughs> and competed in like a fitness show at age 50 plus, right? Yeah. So she got really serious uh, into fitness and health and really started taking, you know, just her well-being more serious. That was, after we all left the house. So I think, you know, when parents, I'm sure you're going to run into this too <laughs> until, for the, until your kids turn 18. But uh, yeah, just, you know, when she was able to really not have to worry about pretty much when all her kids got grown, she started really investing into herself, you know, her marriage. And uh, she just really took to fitness and she still does. She's not competing right now, obviously with the pandemic and everything, but she every morning sends me texts just you know I did my morning run and just a selfie like um, she's now in Houston they just uh, her and my stepdad purchased the house in Houston and uh, just running around her beautiful neighborhood and she always sends me a morning selfie so um, yeah she definitely just reinvented her life and um, just even to go further back uh, my mom was actually uh, hooked on drugs prior to the birth of my um, first my eldest sister so to kick that habit, and like I said, put up with an abusive relationship, a relationship that caused police officers to constantly kick your door in. Um, and to do that and raise, you know, four beautiful children is just amazing. I truly think she's a superhero and anybody else in that situation managing and thriving. You yeah, know, she's super impressive, man. Your mom is something else. I'm Super proud of her and anyone else who knows her, I'm Thank sure he's, he's done a great job. But um, let's kind of hop back on track here. So we kind of talked about the what money was like for you growing up, and you kind of mentioned um, that your 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 friend's dad helped you out and start start kind of start start getting laying the foundation to financial literacy to you to you. Um, so let's talk about a time when you. Like a time when you became more independent financially, mom wasn't there helping you, um, 
and your time when you realize you know money's a real thing i gotta make a real conscious decision here and like it might not be scarce but it definitely is real let's talk about time like that i think that that time hit me definitely in college so my first year in junior college i when i first received that financial aid check so once again being from a single parent household and the financial bracket that my mom fell under my financial aid check was uh i think close to like 2800 so to have all that money you know you seeing that check on my eyes i thought that was a, a ton of money back then like i said i think i had 600 stored before opening my savings account but uh to see that type of money yeah, you know, deposited into my account. I just got into a mindset where I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to keep this and continue to compile on and, you know, make this grow. So being able to play basketball uh, and I was also working, I was doing a uh, kids basketball camp. So during the off season, I would do like coaching and whatnot. But uh, when I got my scholarship to San Francisco, once again, I had full scholarship, but I still received financial aid. So I literally was being paid to go to school and play basketball. It was, it was awesome. So, you know, everything was paid for from San Francisco, but I still received that uh, financial aid and Pell grant from the, uh, the government. So I was just fortunate enough to continue to stack during college and continue to work and whatnot. But, um, after getting out of college and moving out, so I lived with my mom during my college career, but moving out is what really put a, you know, put things into perspective, having to pay rent and, you know, factor that in while also working. It was definitely an equation that it took a while to get used to, but to have that feeling of independence of, you know, I can buy whatever it is I want. And, you know, at that point, I didn't realize that money was a tool yet, but I still treated it as though as if it was for scarce, but knowing that I could buy pretty much whatever I wanted and, you know, I didn't have to rely on anybody. If any, you know, if I wanted something and it was within my means, I can get it. That it's just an empowering feeling. And as you mentioned earlier, I believe a lot of people, you know, are afraid because they compare themselves to others. Like, Oh, well, so-and-so is here financially. We're the same age or, they have a really good job when they got out of college or they're able to say, um, you know, I never really did that. I just honestly just kind of stuck to my own plan and my own route and um, try to continue to grow. Hey, well, it's paid off because you're doing excellent now. Cause so it definitely paid off. So I know the people think about success and, you know, with the entrepreneurial spirit that you mentioned, it's all kind of hard to say, to feel financially successful. But one thing I do know is you're more successful now than you were 10 years ago, or when you had $600 under your mattress, you're more successful now. So let's say, um, let's pretend you had a time machine and you could go back and talk to your younger self. Um, what are some things, some words of wisdom financially or as far as the budget or being wise with money? What are some things you tell your younger self? Oh man, I would tell my younger self for sure to put more money away. <laughs> my my grandma tried to tell me at a young age, you know, I think she told me if you save $10 a week by this age, I want to say she said 25 or 30. But when you're talking to a preteen, <laughs> that probably seems like it's 100 years away, like yeah, 30 years. Oh, no, I'm not, you know, 
I would definitely tell my younger self, put money away, even if it's, you know, five to $10, just put it away, save it. Nothing that you're going to buy is, you know, you're going to keep with you when you get older and it's going to have any substantial value, just, you know, save. That's one thing I regret is um, not working earlier and not saving more. So what, you know, you know, that's funny. I was speaking to a bunch of kids, you were, just the other weekend in the Bay Area, and someone asked me, "What are some quick words of wisdom that you could that you could tell the kids in general to help them get off to the right start?" And I tried to sum it up as simply as possible. I said, "I said, um, earn more than you spend and save something. So simple as that. Earn more if you spend than you spend and save something." What are your saving habits like today? They've gotten better. Um... I make a substantial, substantially amount, a lot more money than I did when I was younger. And, you know, as I mentioned, growing up single mother, you know, I would say we're below middle class. I wouldn't say we were poor. Uh, so I, I didn't really, I didn't have the luxury of getting, you know, Jordan shoes were popular back then. still are, but, you know, I didn't have the luxury of getting, you know, all this name brand stuff. So I never had that urge, that wanting desire since, you know, I knew that it was in all reality, I probably wasn't, my mom wasn't going to buy that for me. So I, I think when I started making more money, I started splurging a lot. So I've gotten that under control. And um, I just, I have a financial plan that I, I, I try to follow as best as I can. I'm doing better, as I mentioned, but just pretty much what you mentioned, you know, I'm making more than I'm spending so just making sure that I, you know, I'm cognizant and I'm saving. So it's so easy now with just, you know, the technology built in whatever banking app or uh, institution you use, where you could just have that money routed directly to whatever account you want to have it saved in. So uh, I think the simplicity of that really helps with my saving habits. Yeah, you know, they've made it a lot easier to save money, which is a great thing. That's why I'm so big on the 401k for people or even clients. Not that, you know, I don't get paid to manage their 401k, but it's the easiest place to save money. You don't see it. It's just, it's just in there and you don't see how much you check. You don't have to go into the bank. You don't have to write a checkout. It's just gone. So I'm, I'm really big on that. Just simplicity behind it. Absolutely. But, and um, what else to that point, um, like just going back to mindset as well. I remember, my fr same friend's dad asking me, so my friend's father, same guy that opened up the bank account, you know, made me open up the bank account. He asked me about my 401k once I got, you know, my first quote unquote real job with um, a forensic psychology firm I was working with. And I remember telling him, I believe I was about 23 or 24. I remember telling him like, man, you know, just pretty much telling him I enrolled, but I wasn't really putting too much in my 401k because of the rules and regulations of when you can touch it, if you need it. I still had that mindset. Uh, I call it the drug dealer mindset. Sorry, listeners, if that's offensive, but I honestly remember telling him, man, I, I can't touch this. I believe until you're 55 or access this until, you know, whatever age it is. Yeah. I said, I might not even live that long. I remember telling him that. And I would say, more than half-heartedly believing that you know not that i thought i was going to get killed or whatever but i honestly was just thinking that and that's just kind of like my father's mindset just growing up like seeing all this fast money i saw it evaporate literally 
once the cops kicked my door and like my dad had wads of my, hundreds. He used to let us, he thought it was cool to let us sleep with it just underneath our pillow at night, just wads of a lot of money. <laughs> so um, I still just had that, I was still combating that mindset, even into my you know mid twenties, like, you know, I wasn't thinking for the long run. Yes, I have a lot more money. I had a majority of it just in my checking account, which isn't the smartest. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's I was still combating that mindset even then. So uh, that was a big hurdle for me to get over. Okay, so you know, you know, there's a lot going on in the country today, like the just you know the um, things going on with COVID nineteen all the other political things going on, things going on with the police officers and the ones that are out of control. There's so much stuff going on in the country today. And it's very easy to get a sense of uncertainty. And it's also tough to maintain a sense of certainty. So um, what are some of the things you do? And yeah, I know you have a background in psychology, so you might have some, some real tips for us to actually maintain the sense of, certain, a sense of certainty and what's otherwise an uncertain time? Yeah, man, that's a good question because I think in this fast-paced world that we live in, I don't think a lot of Americans or a lot of people are just equipped to have their world come to a grinding halt. And, you know, I, I one thing that I'm really big on is just, you know, self-care and wellness and, you know, just being aware of self, a sense of self. So I would just tell people to focus on the positive. It's going to sound cliche, but embrace the cliches. It makes life that much easier. Um, just focus on the positive things that have gone on for you during this pandemic. You know, anything that you can, any crack or crevice you can look in to you know, find any sort of positivity, just focus on that. And if it's an area that you can continue to grow in, you know, I would say invest some energy you know, into that. And I know that's hard you know, some of your listeners may have lost their job. Some of your listeners might have, you know, had to move back in with their parents. So it's easier said than done. But I actually shared this with my mother. She's just freaking out about the pandemic, the election coming up. And I just had to tell her, you know, take a step back. I said, you know, look at where God has brought you. I said, you purchased a house um, a couple of weeks before, you know, sheltering in place. Beautiful home in Houston. You know, you and I, you know, my stepfather. I said that a lot of things have gone on. My sister has gotten a job um, at Stanford Hospital. So a lot of things have happened in 2020 that we can really focus on and build on. And I had to remind her of the resiliency that she instilled in me. I said, you, you know, I, I'm not going to fear because you've taught us how to be resilient. I was prepared uh, if I wasn't going to be offered a role after this acquisition with Microsoft. I already was 10 steps ahead reaching out networking hey look this could potentially happen you know reaching out to some friends this could potentially happen is your company hiring do you know and just putting my feelers out so i think growing up in that situation where you know you didn't really have much you always had to try and plan 10 steps ahead and uh it's funny now that i'm saying this out loud because i need to you know it took me a while to apply that financially you know thinking 10 steps ahead yeah because um, i kind of just had an epiphany right now but <laughs> for the listeners to get back on track just i would say focus on any positivity i don't care if it's you know you woke up in the morning there's a lot to be happy about right there because a lot of people did so i would say focus on anything that you can draw from amen man amen and just on the the, the little wins you know mm -hmm. i think people 
especially people who are on social media, it's so easy to see other people's victories and forget yours. And to say, but but you gotta take time to celebrate those little wins, the, those little successes you have. When you celebrate them, it's gonna breed more. But when you ignore it and don't give it any recognition, that, that you just want to notice them next time. So it's important to celebrate those little wins and to just continue to encourage those habits that are victories. So we're getting close to the end now because um, this is the last question. You know, this podcast is a, is, to help, is uh, designed to help millennials, uh, help, help inspire millennials to reach financial success. And, you know, financial success, what it means to people changes uh, every day and it's different to every person. And I'm sure what it is today to you, it might not be two years or five years from now. But speaking today, what does financial success look like to you? And I like to tell my clients and my guests to not think of it as a dollar amount but more of a quality of life. So from that lens, what does financial success look like to Daryl Robinson today? Financial success looks like to me, I would say the ability to enjoy my time. I, I believe it was last year, I was just thinking to myself, I think a lot just to myself, I'm very, uh, just retrospective, just like I, I focus on just, you know, well-being. And I realized, I said, you know, why do people work so hard? You know, you work so hard to get money to do what? To retire. And you retire to do what? Enjoy your time. So mm-hmm. I just looked at it as, so we're pretty much working to save enough money or to be put in a position financially to enjoy your time. Because if you didn't have to work, if money wasn't an object, how much of many people would get up and still want to go to a corporation or log on online or go do something if, you know, let's just say the government had a magic wand and said nobody had to work, we're going to give you, you know, expendable income. Uh, so I honestly just think that, you know, time is the most valuable asset that we have on this earth. And money is the tool, the engine, whatever you want to call it, to help get you there to enjoy as much of that as you can. So I would believe that financial success looks like to me a point where I can enjoy my time based on the financial decisions I made, you know, whether that be saving or, you know, whatever the case may be investing, uh, that I can enjoy my time freely and help out financially with, you know, family members, friends, um, you know, if I'm equipped enough to do that. But financial success looks like to me is that enjoying my time freely without concern of finances. Hey Amen. Cause that's, that's it answer and, you know i talked to so many of my cousins um, I, I, <laughs> I talked to so many of my clients and my guests about financial success meaning just the quality that uh, the quality of life that that money is going to give you and we don't always got to focus on retirement you know it's a long journey for a lot of us to retirement especially millennials we cannot relate to that person who's 30 years older than us it's you to it's you but it's not you today it's you 30 years from now it's hard to make a financial decision for that person. It's important, but it's also important to consider yourself today. Like uh, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. So you want to make sure you, you take time to put money away to enjoy the journey to that retirement. Like my wife and I, we took we took a few days off like last couple of weeks back to go to San Luis Obispo, dish the kids, leave them, and do our thing. 
And yeah, we weren't earning money at that time, but I wasn't sad to not be earning money because it was the trade-off. It's that it's the irreplaceable value. That's what I'd say. But because you've been an awesome guest, man, I'm so glad you were able to join me today. Anybody who has any questions for Daryl, I'll include his uh, a way to contact him in the show notes. You can check out that speech and please do. And um, I hope to see you guys next week and I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Congratulations, guys. You've officially made it to the disclosure portion of the show. I'm an investment advisor representative of securities offered through Bertha Fisher & Company, Financial Services, Inc. BFCFS member FINRA-SIPC. Holmes Financial is independent of BFCFS. Thanks and have a blessed week.